This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Azteca FC is a competitive adult and youth soccer club based in Sacramento, California. The club was founded by director of coaching Rose Schoen in the fall of 2013. Coach Rose founded this club as a fairly priced opportunity for players who have a desire to compete at the highest level and develop on and off the field. An interesting story intertwined with all of the great work happening at Azteca FC is Rose being one of the very few females currently coaching men here in the United States. The men's team for Azteca FC competes in the premier division of the San Francisco Soccer Football League and in the Northern California Conference of the UPSL. And Rose has helped the men's team earn multiple consecutive promotions in one of the most competitive amateur leagues in the United States. In this episode, Rose and I discuss the quality and the quantity of players outside of the traditional American soccer development pathway. We also discuss why promotion relegation is instrumental in developing players with strong mentalities. And we spend some time talking about how she does things differently and why it works. You can connect with Rose and Azteca FC on Twitter. I've provided links to both of those accounts on 343coaching.com in the write-up of this episode. And I've also provided a link to Azteca FC's website, which I highly recommend going to check out. It's very cool, very informational. Uh, You'll hear me talk about it at the very end of the episode, but I was really fascinated by the tab on the website that is titled Success Stories. I think that is pretty unique and pretty interesting. Uh, But like I said, all of the links to that are provided on 343coaching.com. Just a reminder that you can find this podcast on every major podcast providing platform, pretty much. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you can find podcasts, you can probably find this one. So just search the word 343, the way that we spell it. So the number three, F-O-U-R, the number three, and it should pop up. Uh, This podcast is supported by Bounce Athletics. Finding high quality and reliable training soccer balls and numbered training vests can be very, very challenging, but Bounce Athletics has you covered. They are offering 343 listeners an additional 10% off of their orders. I just spoke with Zach Jonker, the founder of Bounce Athletics, about a new package deal that they are offering to help coaches get ready and get prepared for tryout season. You can order 24 of the custom premium training balls from bounce athletics and you can couple that with 24 custom numbered reversible training vests for $6.99 and they also have a package that comes with 48 balls and 48 vests for $11.99 and the training vests are great for colleges high schools and camps that are looking for ways to identify players while still keeping training sessions organized and the balls well they are on par with brands like nike adidas select but will only cost you a fraction of the price they are legit. I honestly use them every single training session, and the guys at my training sessions they actually fight for uh, <laughs> they they fight for the bounce athletic balls now because they are literally the best in the bag. So uh, that's just a little testament to to their high quality product. If you would like to start the order process, you can email info at bounce athletics and just make sure that you mention three four three to receive your additional ten percent discount. So that is 
key ingredient as well. You need to mention that you listen to this podcast and then you will get to take advantage of that deal. This podcast is also supported by our very own 343 Premium Coaching Education Program. The 343 Premium Membership is a powerful and effective online education program for coaches who take their craft seriously and want to get the most out of themselves and their teams. Coaches of all levels have successfully implemented the material with teams ranging from U10 all the way up to and including college and professional programs. Coach Michael Graham said, I'm in my sixth year worth every penny. You train and refine your methods within an already proven architecture, end quote. So when you sign up, you get 24-7 access to the proven methodology and you're instantly connected to a nationwide network of other ambitious, like-minded coaches. You will also get videos of real training sessions and real games, ebooks, audio lessons, classroom presentations, and forums for networking and sharing ideas with other 343 members. This is the only program that gives you an inside look at how some of the best players in the country were actually developed. And you can learn more about the benefits of the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program by visiting 343coaching.com. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with the founder of Azteca FC, Roshan. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's just get into it. I, I I try to ask people for about thirty to forty five minutes. We've already wasted eight just BSing back and forth. So <laughs> go ahead. Uh, we'll get going. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, let's uh let, let's start with a little bit about who you are, and and you already mentioned a little bit about your your background. You said you've been coached by people from other countries. You've coached people from other countries. Um, you, you already kind of dropped the hint that you're coaching, um, you're coaching men in UPSL. So I, I think there's a lot of interesting different facets to your story. So let's start at, I guess, square one, like who, who are you, where are you from and, and what kind of brought you to your, to your, or what kind of started your soccer journey? Okay. My name is Rose Schoen. I was born in Reno, Nevada. I come from a family of seven kids, which I think kind of shaped me a little bit growing up that I was the oldest. So I was kind of always put into a position of figure it out and kind of like be a leader and help others. Um, I started playing when I was a kid young. I would say that my youth soccer was AYSO, but very poor. There was not a lot of great coaches in my area, especially for the girls. They definitely weren't coaching the girls at that time. Um, I would say that it's a little bit farther back than compared to California standards. I'd never heard of ECNL. I didn't know what a DA was. The first time I heard about ODP was I got a letter in the mail when I was about a freshman, but my parents basically were like, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, my coach actually told me, don't go try for ODP. It's a waste of time. So I didn't really exactly have that great of an environment to be a successful player. What really was the uh, tipping point, I guess you could say, is I went to a high school that was predominantly Latino. And I ended up making the varsity team as a freshman. And it uh, being around a lot of the Mexican boys within that their varsity program, um, they were very close to the girls' team, and we would all just play together. And we actually had futsal leagues during lunch at our high school. So I would play with the boys' futsal, and we had tournaments at our high school. And they invited me to play in the adult leagues. And I didn't even know this existed because at the time, that adult league didn't have a website. 
Um, it was called El Sol de Nevada. It still exists today. They run uh, futsal leagues six months out of the year and outdoor leagues six months out of the year. And, you know, it was 40 bucks to register. The jerseys were very cheap. And previously I had been on, I guess you could call a club team in the area, but the tournaments, you know, were ranging 400 to 500. And my dad basically told me I'm not paying for it. And so I had to find a different route for myself to play soccer after eighth grade. And it became into the adult soccer league in the area. Um, I also played, there was like a boys and girls club that had a futsal league. And I was the only kid on the team that didn't speak Spanish at the time. And I realized I need to speak Spanish if I want to play at a high level. And I need to play with these people who are not American if I want to become better. Because the best players in the area were Mexican or of Latino descent. They We also had uh, Salvadorian, Honduran, Guatemalan players on our team. <clears throat> and so that kind of transition on, I ended up walking on to a program in Ohio, Franciscan University, when I was 18 and made the team. So I played a season of NCAA. And then the coach from the women's program moved to the men's program. And there we didn't have a women's coach. So I ended up moving back to Reno. And I decided to take a break from school and I started a business called Soccer Academy. So I rented a warehouse and I had a futsal court and a personal training gym. So then I, that was when I was 18. And so for three years, I basically coached these kids who were inner city and low income. And I ended up going for my D national license and coaching in club. So anyway, that was a lot, but that, we'll just start with that. And you can ask questions because it's kind of a very interesting story how I started coaching men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to when, when you kind of found that, that different culture of soccer that existed around you. And you said you started playing in the futsal leagues and you started playing in the adult leagues. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it sounds like you kind of, you know, stumbled upon that, even though it existed around you for, for quite a while. Correct. It was like a subculture that I didn't even know was being hosted at my high school. They're like, yeah, we play here every single Sunday. I'm like, well, what? I've been here like four months. I didn't know about this. They're like, yeah, you have to know people to get into the league. And, you know, I went to get registered in like this small back office off a random street. And they're like, yeah, pay the 40 bucks. Here's your player pass. And you're going to play every Sunday. We got playoffs. And if you win, you get a big trophy. I'm like, okay, great. You know, there was no, oh, you have to sign all of this crazy contracts with this club. And we're going to charge you 300 a month and 500 a tournament. I was like, show up every Sunday, play hard, play to win. And we don't care how big you are, what's your race, your, you know, at, you know, we don't care what religion you are. We don't care how much you make. It's 40 bucks to get in, play every Sunday. The ref fee is $3 a game. We had these knockoff jerseys. We definitely never wore Adidas or Nike. And, you know, I just discovered this whole passion and these people love the game and the league would actually publish the results in a newspaper that they published and you would find the game times and the results and the golden boot list in a newspaper. And we would go get the newspaper on like Tuesday and look at what, you know, had happened. And if you did really well, you got your name featured in this little newspaper. And I was like, what an amazing, like, what is this? This is amazing. This is what it should be. It's just about the game. It has nothing to do with, you know, oh, my dad is this, this and that. I make this much money. My kid's playing on this, you know, number three in Northern California ranked. It didn't matter. It was like, can you make playoffs and are you going to bang out? That was it. So many things I can, I can go back and talk about. Um, it was really incredible. Yeah. And, you know, i tell you, I started playing on that team when I was 14 with these adult women. And we ended up uh, winning the league when I, in 2000. 10, I want to say in 2009, we won in both leagues. We were like the undefeated futsal team in Northern Nevada. Uh, our team was called Luna Chicks. It was great. We had these knockoff yellow and blue jerseys. It was awesome. <laughs> and I still am friends with some of these women to this day that I started playing with like back in 2006. 
and actually had a couple of them come to my wedding. I mean, we've been friends for so long and it was always just like, you know, there was never anything like, Oh, well, you know, you're not perfect size. I mean, we had lean girls, thicker girls. We had lesbians, we had straight girls. It didn't matter. It was like, do you want to play? Do you want to win? And when I had played, I had played briefly club in Reno and the girls were just very mean to me. And I was like, I don't want to be in this culture of soccer. I want to be around people who love the game. And that's it. And the, the people I started playing with in these Latino leagues just loved the game and they wanted to play every single weekend. And we would train on tennis courts. That's where I learned that the best way to develop was really just playing for hours and hours on tennis courts. So we would go to these, you know, crummy tennis courts in Sparks, Nevada, and we just play. And I really learned, I was like, this is why they have such good touch on the ball. They're playing on these crappy tennis courts with these futsal balls for hours. That's how you develop. You know, what's always um, really impressed me about tennis courts or tennis in, in general. Tennis court specifically, I guess, is the every tennis court you go to has some type of a wall with a line on it, you know, that's supposed to represent the net. And you see tennis players out there just banging the ball back and forth against the wall. And that is normal in tennis culture like that, like that extra work by a young player or, you know, by even by uh, retired people that go out there and, and they don't have anybody to play with. They'll just sit there and they'll knock the ball against the yeah. wall. They'll and just hit it and they just do it like a thousand, you know, like just go for reps and reps and reps and that's how they get better and they know that. Yeah, and, and, and that that aspect of of training and development it is is not ingrained in the soccer players like it is in, in tennis players or in golf or, or, or things like that where you just well, I think it's more hours. I think I think you have to caveat it with a lot of American players don't do that because yeah. I actually really did recruit a kid named Diego. I recruited him when he was about 12 years old. I was driving through a neighborhood in Sparks, Nevada, and they're like, I was picking up some of the kids for my U13 boys team at the time. And they're like, go get Diego, go get Diego. And I'm looking and this, this kid, he's Salvadorian. He's smacking a beat up ball off a concrete wall. And he's a little bit thicker of a kid. He pops in all smiley. He's like, Hey, I want to play for you. I'm like, Oh great. Hop in, hop in the van. <laughs> so we go to practice and you know, I'm like, all right guys, they had to run stairs to warm up. And he's like the last one on the stairs. I'm like, dude, this kid's kind of thick. He's like not going to run. I'm like, oh boy. And I was like, all right, juggling test. This kid was like, okay, do you want right foot, left foot, or both feet? And I'm looking at this 12 year old, like what? And he's like, how do you want me to juggle? I'm like, just, just, we're going to juggle as many as you can. And he's like, hits a hundred, keeps going. He's like, how much longer do you want me to go? I'm like, this kid's a phenom. I put him in. He's like, I've been playing with my older brothers and uncles in El Salvador forever. And we came here a couple years ago. I played with my, my brother, my older brother. Like we played barefoot in El Salvador. I'm like, this kid's raw. I put him in uh, this club league that we were in, his U13. And then I eventually had him on my U15 boys futsal. And him and his brother at the time, they actually took us to finals. Like single, they made these two boys like put the team on their back and like, we're going to finals. And we did not have the greatest team. We were like upset at the team and like we made it to finals. We ended up losing in finals because I took some of my um, other players to a showcase tournament the weekend we had finals. So we got second. But they were like all happy and stuff. They're like, that was great, coach. Let's do it again. And I'm just looking at these boys like these kids have legitimate talent and they're broke. But they have real talent. <laughs> these kids have real talent. They really go play on their own. They would send me little videos like, check this out. They're like working on Rabona free kicks. I had never even seen someone successfully pull off a Rabona free kick in my life until I started coaching these two Salvadorian brothers, Oscar and Diego. And they're like, oh, yeah, coach, we just go mess around at the park. We do this for hours. <laughs> And I was just like, these kids are legit. These are the truth. This is what you should be doing. And, you know, I never had to tell them to go work on their game. They would just come to the organized practices, come to my games, and they go play on their own for hours and hours and hours. And I'm like, this is what the culture should look like if you want to develop these amazing players. Because realistically, his level of soccer was average for other countries at 12 years old. 
realistically. And he was one of the best kids in the age group in our area. And he still is. He's still, he's like in the top men's team right now, one of the top teams. He won Golden Boot. I mean, and now at like 1920, he's still an elite player. You know, he's still in Reno, but he's still a great player because he develops so much as a youth level. And that's that's my take on it as a coach. What What, if anything, did you notice about his family environment, the home environment when, when you first started to recruit him was the, were the parents? His mom, it, oh, this is a great story. So his mom, um, was with a, a new father, right? So his dad was not in the picture. So the mom actually disliked me because Diego had been on the best team in the area previously to me. He left that team to come to me. The mom refused to go to the semifinal. She refused to come watch him play because she was so pissed that he left the other team. And at 12 years old, Diego looks at me, he's like, Coach, I don't want to play for that other team. I want to play for you. I like you as a coach. I 12 years old. And I sponsored him because his mom was like, I'm not paying for you to play for Rose. And so I was like, Diego, if you want to play for me, like, I'm not, you know, I'll pay for your registration. I'll pay for you. And he's like, great. I'll be there every single day. I mean, he was legitimately, we played against a team at Lake Tahoe and they were like, where did you find this player? <laughs> and they're like, he's, he's off the chain for his age group. I'm like, I know. And, you know, so his, his mom didn't really support him playing for me. Um, <clears throat> he had to get a job late in high school. His brother had to work there. They both still work and help their mom out. So I would say a uh, very poor environment. They lived in a very low income area of Reno. Ironically, the area in Reno is actually Sparks, which is next to Reno. That five mile radius has produced MLS level players. There's a kid named Kevin Partita that plays for the earthquakes currently who went to Sparks high school. And I coached an entire team of boys from that area. And it's an entire subculture of boys who go on to play collegiate level soccer. And there's an MLS player out of that area. And if you look at the culture in that area, there are literally groups of boys playing on tennis courts. You can literally go out there and find them doing it. And there's just a subculture of this, these Latino boys who go and train and train and train. And I actually had an assistant coach from that high school, Joel Martinez, and he coached at that high school when they went to state and won it back in 2013. They went like back-to-back state championships um, for the 3A in Nevada. <clears throat> and I was like, Joel, how do you produce such a good culture of boys? And, she, and he was like, we make it extremely competitive in preseason. And we also recruit from like one of the deepest talent pools in the area. But he's like, we grind them. Like preseason, they would barely touch a ball. They would just condition the kids and get them mentally like so focused on going to state. And it would produce players like Kevin Partida, Jesus Partida is at UNLV, his little brother. Um, and so that's where Diego lived in that area. They lived in those apartment complexes in that area. So that you could do like a whole case study on that, like literally three mile radius, five mile radius of kids because it's such an amazing little culture of soccer. What's, uh, what's really, what's always standing out to me about those little pockets is that they're not represented by uh, a professional outlet. More often, no. than, more often than not, I know that you know there's Reno, Reno FC or whatever the the US. Yeah, but that came there. along later. You have yeah. to remember that, like this, all that I'm talking about, this all happened before they even showed up. Before they showed up, we didn't even have an NPSL team in Reno, Nevada. I actually would take my boys to watch the men's league play their final at the UNR Stadium because that was the highest level of men's soccer in the area. Because there's no collegiate soccer in Reno. The players I'm talking about were developed with not one college program, not one professional program, not one fourth division men's program. The adult league in Nevada is not affiliated. Think about it. An entire culture of players is developed with not one professional organization in the area. And they produced people like Kevin Partita, 
and George Medina, who's also at UNLV, D1 and MLS level players with not one professional influence. That is a true story. And I tell people that and they kind of look at me and they cock their head. I'm like, these boys that come out of that area are some of the toughest, most skilled players you're going to meet because they had to grind to make it out. It is a competitive cauldron. And if you want to make it out of Sparks, Nevada, Reno, Nevada, you have to work 10 times harder than a kid growing up in Sacramento, SF, and LA. Not discrediting those players. I've coached some great players out of Sacramento as well, and kids in the Bay Area are awesome, but there are so many odds stacked against you in Nevada. To make it out, you have to be the best. Do you see that as a as a problem that there's no professional outlets in in these areas or or we don't have Well, now the, there are. I mean, now they have the USL program, but it's still, you know, years and years behind in my opinion compared to what we have here in California. Um, problem, I think the problem is identification. There are really talented players there. When I took George Medina, who came out of Galena High School, and he's cousins with the Partita family, and I've coached him for a while, I, I brought him over to play with me in the SF League and to play against NPSL teams and play against, you know, Cal State Stanislaus. He played my center back last year when we played them. At 18 years old, I was playing a 3-5-2, and the coach is like, who is that player? I'm like, that's George Medina. He's out of Reno, Nevada. He drove over here to play for me. They're like, he's an incredible player. I was like, I know. He's a D1 level player that was under-recruited out of high school that is trying to get to a D1 program so he can make the draft. And he did. Now he's at a D1 program and his objective is to make the draft. But they were like, how did you find this kid? I'm like, there are more kids like this in under-recruited areas, but there's not enough coaches like me that are willing to go out and watch these Mexican League games and go find these kids. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. Bounce Athletics are offering you an additional 10% discount just for listening to this episode of the 343 podcast. When I spoke to Zach, the co-founder of Bounce Athletics, he mentioned one of the most common problems that coaches and players and teams have when it comes to their training equipment. And this is what he had to say. Finding goals that are portable, um, that can be moved from environment to environment quickly and perform just as well on grass as they do on turf as they do on hardwood or, or wherever you're at. Thankfully, that problem has been solved thanks to the Dynamo goals made by Bounce Athletics. They have revolutionized people's training sessions. For those that don't know, they're a three by five, all aluminum frame. They fold flat in like five seconds and they you pop them back up and a couple seconds. The moment I saw the Dynamo goals in action, I was totally convinced that these were the best goals on the market. And since using the Dynamo goals, I haven't even touched the other goals that I have had for years. And I was curious about who else was already using these. So I asked Zach, and here's what he had to say. Everything from recreational programs that are using them for their 3v3 and 4v4 to college and pro teams that have 20 of them. 343 listeners get an additional 10% discount when you mention the 343 podcast. Just email info at Bounce Athletics to begin the order process. All right, let's get back to the show. I, I guess what I was kind of, I was going to steer you towards, and this is my bias, um, and this is me. I, I, the audience probably knows where I'm trying to go with this because they've listened to this before, but we've never talked. Um, but you've you've mentioned or you mentioned a, a couple times about promotions, 
like your your team has won and, and got promoted to the next level. Oh yeah. So yes. so I, I'm a big advocate for promotion and relegation in American soccer. It's something that I think is a big big problem, and and it's when I have these conversations about these areas like sparse Nevada or Reno Nevada. Okay, let me let me caveat it. So okay. yes, in those men's leagues, there is promotion relegation. It would be almost crazy to talk to a player from that area and be like, oh, we don't do promotion relegation. They'd kind of look at you and be like, well, of course we do. Because in the men's league out there, there's five divisions and there is promotion and relegation. If you win, you get a move up. And if you lose, you move down. So even in that unaffiliated league with, you know, just like you get your player passes at some random place, they still have promotion relegation. And that's where you're getting these players. Kids like Diego, kids like Partida, kids like Medina. They grow up playing in a league that's promotion relegation and they watch their cousins and uncles and dads and that's how it goes down. And they're that competitive and that hungry. And if even at the U8 level, they count who scores the most goals. There is no, oh, we're not counting goals. If you open up their little standings, they will show you exactly how many score, how many goals someone has scored. It is extremely competitive and it drives these players to be the best they can be. And in the league I coach in now, the reason I'm in the San Francisco Soccer Football League which is the oldest league in America. It was founded in 1902, and it's been the longest-running league. Um, it's produced five U.S. Open Cup champions. I mean, it's a great league. So there's three divisions currently. In the past, there used to be four to five, but right now there's three. We started in the third division. We earned promotion in 2017, and then we earned promotion from the second division to the premier division in 2018. And in the premier division, you play in Boxer Stadium, which is a, also a very historic field in San Francisco. So that has also really been a wake-up call for some of the players that I coach in Sacramento who never really competed in that type of league. They, you know, like, you must compete or you will get relegated. You must compete if you want to get promoted. Compared to, like, what we have here in California where anyone can go get on a club team and then even if you're not good enough to make a real true club team, we're just going to create a B, C, and D team and then put you in a NorCal bronze and then, you know, just make other divisions, instead of making it a truly competitive environment where only the best players make it up. When did you realize that that was a crucial piece of player development? Oh, I knew this a long time ago. I mean, in my opinion, like I I understood this when I started playing the Mexican league when I was 14, I was like, the reason that these people I'm playing with are so good is because this league is truly a competitive league. It has nothing to do with how much money you make because it's not about the money. So you really actually get to see the best players because there is no financial barriers to getting these kids into the top team. If you are the best, you will get recruited. Uh, when I was a sophomore, we played in a final against the number one team and we lost and they recruited me the next year. So like even in this league, they were like, oh, you're, you're on the second best team, come to the number one team. So, and that's normal. You'll see that happen. They're like, come play with the best team. And so even in this, un, you know, non-US soccer league they're you know pushing people to get to the top level just it's like a natural environment that it happens in and in the SF league it is a great league it's extremely well run in my opinion I think it's the best fourth division league to be in in NorCal and people might argue with me about NPSL or UPSL I've coached in UPSL for two seasons um it was okay but you get more bang for your buck and you get real games in the SF league and there's actual promotion relegation there's no promotion relegation in NPSL and UPSL in NorCal doesn't exist so you can finish in dead last and you just keep going back and you keep playing the same people and it doesn't promote that competitive culture and so i we did the upsl because i wanted to be in a nationally ranked league and i wanted my men to experience it 
Um, will we continue in UPSL? That's a question right now. I really think that the SFSFL provides a great environment. Currently, we have a team in the third division and in the premier. So my best younger players, my best high school and junior college boys, they play in the third division against seasoned men, even in the third division. And then my, my most elite men and my collegiate players play in the premier. And so even within my club, we have promotion relegation, right? So we have our premier team, reserve team, and then we have a U19 boys team that stays locally only in Sacramento. And if you are one of the best kids on that team, you can go to the reserve men's league in SF. So we have three teams that you can compete on. Rose, I, I love talking to you. This is this is this is a this is a kind of a breath of fresh air because a lot of times people um, are just finding out about like this this necessary competitive component to to development and to um, yeah just they're 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 just now realizing it. But it seems like you're like you're just engulfed in these competitive environments and it looks like you're just always searching for more. It sounds like you're always just searching for more challenges, which I think is super exciting. Yeah. I mean like, for example, so like our preseason, let me, let me grab my piece of paper. So like <laughs> last year, our preseason was average and we did not as well as I wanted. So I was like, all right, boys, this year we're probably going to get our butts kicked in preseason, but I really don't care because you people need to develop. And a lot of you are trying to go to NCAA programs and a lot of you want to go somewhere with your game. So this was our preseason schedule before we started SF league, Oakland stompers, NPSL, Sacramento Gold NPSL FC Golden State Force, which is the number one PDL program for 2017, 2018. Now it's known as USL two. Uh, we played Cal State San Francisco NCAA D two. Uh, we went to University of San Francisco NCAA D one. Cal State Stanislaus NCAA D two. And then we have Lake Tahoe Community College, Truckee Meadows Community College, Cal State Stanislaus, and Simpson University NAIA as our remaining non league games. So that's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Ten games against, in my opinion, varied opponents ranging from NCAA D1 down to junior college so that any of the boys and men that I coach who want to go play at the next level are going to get a legitimate taste of it. And I have been building relationships with coaching staff for years, and so this was the culmination of a really solid non-league game schedule. Um and out of that, my players actually do get looked at. So I have a I have a player right now who's looking to transfer to Cal State San Francisco for January. Another one's looking to transfer to Cal State Stanislaus also in January or possibly fall of next year. So every time we go play these collegiate programs, the coaches are evaluating my players. This is a true program to take boys and men who were under-recruited due to financial circumstances or whatever and giving them that chance to play at the next level. I don't just talk about it like, oh, I would like to help move kids on. I'm like, great. Come bust your behind four nights a week with me in training, and then I'm going to give you your chance. Because everyone's like, oh, I just get it. didn't get the chance. Great, buddy. Well, you're going to get your chance, so let's go. Win or lose, you're going to get looked at. And that is a true cauldron to see what you can actually do. When uh, when you play those games against the other NPSL teams and PDL teams and the NCAA Division One teams, uh, it sounds like you have a, a kind of like a mixed roster of high school or, or or kids that are graduating high school and then college guys and then maybe some men thrown in there. But I'm curious, yeah. how, how do you guys stack up against these other rosters? Are you guys getting blown out? Are you guys winning? Are you guys tying? What, what are the what are the results looking like? Uh, it's a mix. So we tied Cal State Stanislaus 1-1, which was a big breakthrough for us to tie a Division two program that has hundreds of thousands of dollars and a huge facility. Yep. 
So that was a big breakthrough. Um, we lost to University of San Francisco. We only had the issue with that game was per NCAA D1 uh, rules. The coach was not allowing me to bring any high school kids and uh, nor any okay. kids that was that were uh, rostered in a collegiate program. So mm. we lost and we got blown out. But I mean, for me, we played in Kizar Stadium versus the USF Dons. Amazing experience. And actually out of that game, one of my players who played center back for me was the kid that eventually got uh, recruited at Cal State Stanislaus. So for me, that game was a great experience for him. And when he went into the Stanislaus game, he was he looked like a big dog with puppies and got the offer. So we lost to USF, and then he played the game of his life against Stanislaus and got the scholarship. So you know, so you look at it like that as a coach, right? And then some of the kids who needed to be humbled a little bit when they go play against teams that produce MLS level players, right, or big dogs, and you're like, wow, this is what you need to work on. And then you see them sharpen it up. Uh, we lost to FC Golden State Force, but that was also a really great game because they treated it as if it was a league game. We did the official walkout. They had their press stuff set up. They had the game film, game photography. They did official subs. They had the scoreboard up. We were at um, Rio Honda College down, down in SoCal. And so it was cool for the boys because, you know, you go to the locker room and they get to be in a professional environment. Oh, we cool. have... We have beaten uh, the Sacramento Gold. We have tied them. We have lost to them. We have beaten the Stompers in offseason. So remember, these are offseason games. So whenever we play these types of teams, I always caveat that you can't really compare my result against some of these programs when it is not a league game. Because we all know this, when it is a league game and you're really in standings, players play a little bit differently, right? And programs treat it differently. So yes, do they try out players in preseason and offseason games? Of course. Yeah. So I never am like, oh, you know, we're this, you know, we are this dominant program. We are a good program and we play against pretty tough teams and the results vary. I guess guess that's the best way to put it. I mean, so it varies, you know, like we compete. Sometimes we lose against teams like the number one PDL team. Yes, we lost. We lost uh, zero to six and I put in high school kids. So I had a couple high school seniors playing that game. I had junior college kids with only one year of experience and they have some players that in my level are professional level playing on that team. So that's the difference in the level. Um, they have beaten teams in their league this year, eight to two. So we lost zero to six, you know, we hit post twice and it was a great experience for my guys. And I hope that we can do it again. I guess where, where I, I was going with that thought was that you do have players that are probably quality enough to be on those other rosters or to be on on certain teams or play at a certain level but for whatever reason you know like you kind of mentioned is they haven't got their chance or they haven't been recruited or they come from these areas like sparse nevada you know where where people aren't aren't looking and so what i I guess what what i'm getting at is that there are players out there that people don't know about and and they kind of joke about it they poke fun about it in uh in American soccer media, like Alexi Lawless will go on Fox or whatever and be like, Oh yeah. Falling through the cracks or they have Bruce arena on the halftime show. And they're like, Oh, nobody's falling through the cracks in American oh, soccer. We, we, we know everybody <laughs> in American soccer. No. It, so for example, here's a great example just to copy at it. So people don't understand this, but I'm, I so I have my C national licensing. So I'm an officially licensed coach. I can go work with programs. You know, I'm licensed. I've done the work. I've paid for my own licensing and done it. So ODP of NorCal emails me and says, we'd like you to come and be an evaluator for the ODP program. 
And so I emailed him back and I was like, I just disagree with the fact that you charge kids $180 for a tryout. Thank you for doing I, that, Rose. Thank you. For, that's a noble service. So, <laughs> no, no, no. So I told him, I said, I don't agree with participating in ODP. If you guys are going to charge 180 for the tryout in NorCal, you should make it free. And you should make it a truly competitive process and yep. take the best kids. Yep. Period. End of story. Like if you really want to have an amazing program that really finds the best players and there is tons of players all over the place, you need to make it free and let these parents do it. Yep. Because then it goes to the point where I've actually had men who are very good come onto my team who had made ODP, who could not afford the four to five to 6,000 to participate. And I told them, I was like, if you were serious, oh, and then get this. So I, so I'm licensed. They want me to go spend 12 hours out of three days on a trout. I'm like, great. So how much am I getting paid to come and recruit? Nothing. You're expected to come down and volunteer. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I need to make money. Like, I can't do this for free. And they're like, well, then we can't have you as a coach. And I was like, I don't see why you would not want to pay someone to recruit for you if you want to find the best players in America. If you pay me, I will personally go and find these kids. I will go out for hours and hours and go find these kids and talk to the parents in Spanish, convince them to bring their kids and get them on the roster. But you don't even want to pay me to go to Ripon for three different Sundays for 12 hour shift. And you want me to drive from SAC to Ripon, spend my entire day and not get any type of compensation as a licensed coach? I'm not doing it. I mean, there's multiple reasons. Like, first, you don't want to compensate me. Second, I disagree with how you charge people 180 for a tryout when there is a lot of biases. And then you want to charge these kids 6000 if they make the team to fly to freaking the ODP West Far West Regionals in Phoenix when there's a lot of these kids can't even make it. It is a very broken, flawed system, and that is why the men do not qualify for World Cups. And then when you get this kid out of Stockton who's down there playing for the first division, um, i got to remember his name. I think it's Gonzalez, Jonathan Gonzalez. He's playing first division in Liga MX, and the NorCal program didn't want him. So he's like, I have dual, dual citizenship. I'm going to Mexico. You know, And they wonder why these kids leave. And I'm telling you, I've looked inside the system. I am a licensed coach. I have played. I played WPSL. I coach at these levels. I see where the cracks are. And I actually was a representative for the NorCal Adult Soccer Association for the U.S. Soccer AGM in 2015. And they, you know, I saw what really happens at the elections. I sat there. I was a, I was a legitimate rep. I voted. And I saw how it really works, how the voting system is completely flawed internally in U.S. soccer. And so, you know, I'm over here telling them, like, I am not going to vote the way you want me to vote. I'm going to vote how the people I represent would want me to vote. And then that was my last U.S. soccer AGM. <laughs> so <laughs> that, was, that was my first and my last. And I just keep going along with my team. I keep working with these kids whose parents legitimately cannot pay 300 a month for club soccer, whose parents cannot legitimately pay 500 a tournament. They cannot afford 6000 for ODP. That is the truth. And if you were to go to Mexico and told some of those parents down there that you were going to charge them 6000 to be in a pool of players that might make it onto the U-20 national team, they would just laugh at you. There are small little pueblitos, like small little cities in Mexico where scouts from Leon, Chivas, America, Monterrey, they literally will go and hold open tryouts. Small towns. I'm talking like these little, small, like barely on a map. And they will actually go hold visorias. They will go hold tryouts for these kids. Because they know that the kids in poverty are some of the hungriest players you will ever, ever find. Some of my best players are literally completely poor. I have a kid right now, Ram Keller. He's Liberian, playing at Southwestern College in Kansas. He broke his school goal-scoring record and made NAIA Player of the Week. He couldn't even get rides to my practices. He was sleeping on a couch. I used to pick him up for practices and I had to get him to the tryout and he made the team and he's doing amazing at the NAIA level. 
And that is an example of a kid that literally people wouldn't even take because he did not have money. And he is an amazing striker. He truly is an elite player. So, I mean, I see kids like that. It really does exist. And the reason I even get them is because I just promote on Instagram. I promote on Facebook, Twitter. I go out to all the leagues. I go network with people. People bring me good players. They're like, go play for Rose. She's not going to like do crazy fees. You know, it's fair pricing. Or if necessary, we can find a way to get you into the program. Because in the reality of I'm trying to find those players that fall through the cracks because I know they're there. Rose, what makes you want to do this? What, like, what's the, what was the initial inspiration for you to start going out and recruiting at these men's leagues or recruiting at these Sunday leagues? And, and what's the, what's the incentive for you? Um, I guess for me, I guess I feel like that I was also a player that didn't get that shot. Right. And also when I went and played at the collegiate level and the WPSL level, and I would look at the men's teams, I'm like, I grew up with boys who are better than these players. But the boys that I grew up around and played with, and they were kind of like my soccer mentors, really. They really did teach me so much. They never got that opportunity. And the only reason why is because they were under-recruited and didn't have enough money. And I guess I saw it as a huge injustice. And also, I see it as a solution. We all complain, oh, we can't make a World Cup. Well, let's do something. Do something at the youth level. That's where the players come from. Stop complaining about it and crying that we don't make it and we lose to Trinidad and Tobago. Get off your ass and go, literally. Go become the coach that works with those kids. Be that coach. Don't take the easy route and go to a club team that's going to pay you 2000 a month to work with the kids from the suburbs. And I have kids from the suburbs. I'm not knocking on them, but be that coach that takes the hard route. There were years where I would lose money as a coach because I was only getting a couple kids per session. And it took me a long time to build a community around my club. And now that I have it, now I have, you know, we're just starting a U8 team soon. So we have U8, U10, U15, U19, men's reserves, men's premier. And then on the women's side, we have the WPSL, and then we have a local team for the girls. And, you know, but it took a long time and a lot of work, and a lot of people don't want to do that. But there are so many players that are under-recruited, and they need real coaches to go out and work with them. Like, I, I've had offers to go coach at bigger clubs. I hold my licensing, right? I have been an assistant at the junior college level. I could go coach at those bigger levels and have it be easy, but I'm like, where am I needed as a coach? Truly. And I am truly needed as a coach in the American system with these kids because people don't want to do it. But the reward is there. The kids are talented. They love me. I have relationships with some of these players from way back, you know, and it's, it's really a cool thing to see them succeed in life and get their careers going and know that I was a part of it and know that like playing soccer for them in college was a catalyst for their life. And now they have a real degree and they can make real money. So that, I mean, I guess my incentive is there's multiple incentives. I love to watch truly talented, brilliant players who love the game. And I want to open doors for those really, really gifted kids. And the only way you do it is you go out and you recruit everywhere. You go out and watch kids play on the tennis courts. You go out and watch all the unaffiliated leagues. You make connections with those league directors. I mean, here's a great example. Frankie Amaya, number one MLS draft picked. Do you know where he's from? He's yep. from Southern California. Yep. LA. He played at UCLA, right? Yep. Well, I know Hugo Salcedo, who is Jorge Salcedo's dad. And regardless of the controversy around all that, when I spoke to Hugo, who previously worked at CONCACAF, he's like, Rose, Frankie Amaya, we recruited him out of an unaffiliated league. And we helped get him into programs to help him get recruited. And he's number one MLS draft pick. I never even met the kid, but listening to it, he's like, there are so many other kids like him in America that come from these lower income families that just need to be looked at and to be put on the correct path. 
and they truly have the talent and the level to be at the next level. Yeah, Frankie's Frankie's story is pretty special. I, I I know not not a lot about his story, but I know quite a bit about his story, and and it's it's pretty awesome. Um, I'm I'm actually I'm I'm looking at your website right now, and one of the tabs that that sticks out to me is the tab that's it says success stories, and and there's just a bunch of pictures that are going through underneath uh, on on your homepage that I think is, I think it's just really cool. I think uh, what you're what you're doing is really inspirational, and I think it is very needed. In, in the American soccer community. And, and the whole idea about interviewing you was to showcase what you are doing with, um, with Azteca and, and, and with all the work that you're doing in multiple different, uh, multiple levels. Sorry. Um, and, and I think this conversation has done a good job of, of showcasing number one, your passion for what you're doing, but also just, you know, the, that there are players out there that are just still hungry for whatever chance they can get it. They, they will play for free. They will sleep on couches. They will carpool. They will drive hundreds of miles. They will, uh, they will do whatever they can to continue chasing that dream. And I, I think there's no, we don't, we don't, we don't understand how many players are really wanting and willing to fight for that chance. And, and we think that everything is supposed to come from that DA or from the ECNL or, or, or from wherever, but, I think there's just so much more out there that, that we should be looking at. And I think you're doing a good job of highlighting it. Thank you. Yeah. That's what I always try to tell people that instead of complaining about why there's problems in the system, you can take action today. If you are a coach or a soccer enthusiast and you can help those players get looked at. I mean, it is possible. We don't have to wait for us soccer to do some fundamental change. Should we continue battling for it? Yes, of course. Is it going to happen? I don't know. I've sat through U.S. soccer AGM meetings. I have been, you know, to the league's organizations. And at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to go and protest outside of U.S. soccer. I am going to be the change in my community to get these kids looked at for the next level. That's my job as a coach. Right. And I need to be an advocate for these kids, especially the kids who need someone to translate. And, you know, the fact that I can translate Spanish to English is a big deal so that I can reach out to these families and to help them get to the next level, whether it be junior college, D1, D2, NAIA, or even pro. At the end of all of my interviews, I always ask the guest, what do people need to know? And everybody always obviously has their own experiences in soccer and in life and, and everything like that. So the, the answers always vary. And that's why I'm always excited to ask the same question to, you know, over, let's see, I think almost over 200 people now. Um, so, I'm going to ask you what what do people need to know, and I'd be curious to to hear how you would answer that because you have a, a much different experience in soccer than I think the traditional um, female player, traditional female coach. So, what do uh, what do people in American soccer need to know? Um, need to know. <clears throat> I guess what I would say yes, and I had a very different path as a female player and coach is that. I believe that futsal is really the key for development at the youth level. I think it's underused and I think people try to like over commercialize it. And second of all, that if you are a coach, you need to go recruit everywhere. And as a player, you need to put in the hours on your own every week doing the training. You need to put in the hours practices with your team are not enough. You need to put in the time. Um, I always tell my players, there's the four pillars, right? You have your tactical, technical, physical, and mental game. And every day of the week, you're working on those four pillars, whether it be touching the ball, training on your own, watching the game, 
you need to work on your game seven days a week if you want to compete with the best in the world. And that's the truth. And I'm not sugarcoating it for them. I will tell players that they need, that they're not good enough. And with me, I've had coaches tell me that, and it was the best thing for me. I mean, you need to be very realistic if you want to produce top-level players, and you also need to go look everywhere. And I really believe that futsal is the key for development. Beautiful answer. Um, where can people where can people connect with you, and where can people learn more about the the programs that you've started and the communities that you're that you're building? Uh, you can come to the website www.aztecafc.com. And then we have our Facebook pages. We have Azteca FC and then Azteca FC Junior JR for the youth teams. Um, you can find me on Twitter, R-S-H-O-E-N-015. We also have Instagram. Our Instagram is Azteca FC. And then my email is on the website as well, aztecafc15 at gmail.com. And if people have questions... Um, interested in getting involved, like to talk soccer. I'm always open to discussion. I believe that conversation is the key, especially here in America. So people are welcome to reach out. I'm always interested in connecting with people and talking about my experiences and how we can help grow the game. Right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast and a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.